is up, everyone? I hope you're having a wonderful 2023. Inside the War Room is, of course, here, ready to go. A lot of shows this year to put out. Two things you can do to support us. One, give a five-star rating wherever you listen to this podcast. A like, a thumbs up, subscribe, whatever that looks like on your platform. We would greatly appreciate it. Two, if you want to support the show, you can do that by going to warroommedia.com. That keeps the ads off. That keeps us rolling. It covers our cost. We would really, really appreciate that. Warroommedia.com. Marlene, welcome to the War Room. Thanks for having me. Okay. The book title is quite provocative. Secret Lives of Royal Women, Fascinating Biographies of Queens, Princesses, Duchesses, and Other Regal Women. Um, Okay. How secret are these lives? Well, I wanted to sort of get to the nitty gritty, sort of like a peephole into the kingdom, because, you know, that's what really piques people's appetite. Like, if you think about it, you know, Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, has broken every record for the nonfiction bestselling list in history. And it's because he's saying sort of tantalizing tidbits. And I think that's what really you know, piques the public's interest. So I tried to do the same as well. Like factual, I didn't want it to be a scholarly tome. You know, you wanted to base it on scholarly research, but put a little fun or frivolity on it as well. What is the fascination from your perspective that the general, or why is the public um, fascinated with this topic? You know, good question. I think it's because the 1% like the royal 1%, they lead lives that are so vastly different from the plane of everyone else. Like their only motto is the best of everything. And not only do they have unlimited wealth, but like they make the Kardashians put to shame. Like they're the Kardashians on steroids. And I think they, because they can trace their lineage a thousand years and because their family once owned most of the world, I'm originally from Toronto in Canada, and even to this day, the Canadians, um, the Queen is on the postage stamps, the currency, we have Queen Victoria Day, many places in Canada, like Victoria, is named after um, the royal family, so I think the fascination is their their lives are just such a non, um, such a soap opera, and just such a, you know, different than anybody else is like Kansas versus Oz. <laughs> That's a good one to put it. Yeah. Cause I'm always torn on this topic because you're, you're right. It is. I mean, if you were to say, um, Hey, to the Royal family, you're like the Kardashians on steroids. They probably wouldn't appreciate it. <laughs> they would probably think <laughs> you, the Royal family. Yeah. They probably would think, yeah. Oh, okay. Comparing us to the Kardashians is a, is a bit of an insult, but yeah. Uh, yeah. But, it, but it's true. Like, because you know, it's like whatever they do is international um, footage for every station in the world. And you can't look at the internet once without seeing some scandal or something. And the coronation is going to be like huge. Yeah. Yeah. And so is it, is it the money? Is it the, they don't really, I mean, they have power, I guess, but they don't have power, like legislative power, like they, they would have historically. So they, but they do have power. They have sway. They do, they do have influence. Is it just being isolated, kind of living in a bubble? What do you think makes them 
Kardashian-like with the drama? I think it's because it's not just their plus billion dollar fortune because there's other very wealthy people. But I think it's because, like I said, we grew up with the royal family. So in a way, it's as a matter of fact, ironically, my brother's name was Charles because my mother, she, she he was born the same year as Prince Charles. So she named him after Charles. So I think it's, um, I think the fascination is just because, like I said, how many, I mean, I know who my grandfather was, that's it. So like I said, they can trace their lineage to William the Conqueror a thousand years ago. Uh, there used to be a, sa- a saying, the sun never sets on the British Isles because they owned the Union Jack, flew over so much of the world. So, I mean, who else can say that? I mean, you know, if you if you live in England, their royals are on their banknotes, their flags. So they just have enormous, they're the ultimate influencers. The okay. ultimate. Yeah, right. So I remember um, when Princess Diana died. And I remember, I think I was in fifth or sixth grade. And what I remember is not knowing who she was to all of a sudden all of this news coverage about her. And some of the girls in my class were, uh, I guess, fans maybe of her. But I, I had no idea. That was kind of my real first memory that I could think of. I'm sure I'd seen stuff before, but, you know, of of Princess Di and, and the, of course it was at her, 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 uh, her death. What about her was unique that made her transcend it's it seems at least from my perspective and again i was quite young so maybe not but it seemed like she kind of tr- took it to a different level maybe um you know harry as you mentioned he's he's uh, uh he, they're breaking off the book the records now but but she seemed to be kind of the the megastar that i first remember she seemed to become the what the the what you say about princess diana she seemed to be the what the the, the first real megastar like the first just uber <laughs> megastar from my perspective is that is that um, is that a, was she and why was it that way? Why was she so beloved? Why was she so popular? I think there's a few things because one, I think it was, um, she was very attractive, number one, and they called her the people's princess. So she wasn't like some of the royals who are very, very aloof and cold Mm. and standoffish. She was traveling the world on uh, the basis of landmine victims. She would visit AIDS hospitals and actually put the children on her lap. So I understand what they meant by the people's princess. Also, when her husband was having the affair, I think a lot of royal men, they have carte blanche to do whatever they want. And their wives will say, you have the tiaras, you just take it. But I think she said, no, I, you know, because once Camila said to her, you're beautiful, you could have any man in the world, what do you want? And she said, I want my husband. So I think she wasn't willing to lie back and take it because I mean, the Royal men have always had a history of Royal mistresses, but I think Diana, if for all her frail appearance, I think she had an iron backbone. And I think people respected her that she was so philanthropic and she was yet so feisty that she, and, and also it was her vulnerabilities. You know, she had bulimia, she had anorexia. And so I think people could relate to her and um, and I think because Charles and Queen Elizabeth herself 
and Princess Anne, they're very standoffish and aloof, which is kind of the royal family way. But Diana was like hugging people, shaking hands. Mm. And I think that when she died, it was such an outpouring of grief because she was, like I said, like one of us. Yeah. And why was that, do you think? What what made her resonate not not resonate i guess is the word but uh what made her um have that in her where she wanted to connect with the quote commoner compared to um the royal family who's kind of standoffish what was it her upbringing was it a character trait any any insight on that well i think it was even though she is definitely a blue blood and she came from a titled family um she wasn't royal so she wasn't brought up with the, you know, extreme stiff upper lip. And like, if you even look at um, Prince William and um, Kate, they don't hold hands because any in public, because any public display of affection is scorned upon. You know, they're very, very formal people. I mean, I think Prince Charles was born in a three piece suit. They're very, very formal. And I think. Princess Diana, she was a kindergarten teacher and she was, um, so I don't think she had that standoffish um, that the royals had because wealthy, titled, yes, but she wasn't royal. Yeah. And, and see, to me, that's the the odd thing about the royal family is, as you mentioned, there's this formality in, in society um, in the West, it seems, is becoming more informal. Uh, whether you think that's a good thing or, or a bad thing, it's just not. Um, you know, we're not having seven seven course dinners, and we don't have you know eight spoons and forks, and you know we you know, we sit down and we have kind of uh, a normal meal, which is you know you might have a paper plate, you might break out the fine china occasionally, but it's it's it, we're we're a lot less formal, and they're on the other end of that spectrum, and it's weird because society almost kind of accepts that as it's okay for them, and I don't think it's wrong, but it's it's okay for them to kind of have that level of formality. Well, if anyone else were to do that, we would almost ostracize them. Like, oh my gosh, what is what is wrong with you people? Why can't you hold hands in public? Why can't you do this? And so to me, that's always kind of been the thing where I, where I haven't been able to fully get the fascination because they are so far removed that we wouldn't we wouldn't think about it the same way we do if this was a normal couple. Right. Like if they were out of their context, they would be the ultimate in pretension, you know, with all their different forks. And um, but, you know, but that's part of their fascination is that they do live in this rarefied Mm. bubble. And they are, like I said, they're brought up to that role. Like, I mean, even if you look at um, I remember once William and his son, um, he was about six years old, the boy at that time. And he, they took him to his first tennis game and it was sweltering, sweltering hot. And he was in the he, at six years old. He was in a three piece suit. He had a jacket, press pants, black shoes and a tie. He was a child and he must have been sweltering. But this is how they're nothing if not formal. They're very, very formal family, uh, probably the world's most, but that's the world that they were brought up to, which is why I think Harry left is because um, he he's not formal. And he isn't like, he just was the fish out of water with that family. Yeah. And so is his wife, it seems as well. 
Yeah, but you know, she's American. So she's an actress. So she she could never fit in too, because that was completely different than her California upbringing. How could you take somebody, you know, um, an actress from California and put her in that family with that level of formality with governed by all those rules? It's a high price to pay, even if you get the yachts and the jets. Well, yeah, so, but surely she was aware of that. So what do you think happened? She was aware, but didn't really realize what it actually meant. And she got in, it was too much or um, didn't think through it. Like, how, how would she, because to me, if you said, hey, Ryan, you have, I mean, the listeners can't see, I'm in a pullover and a hat right now. <laughs> so <laughs> I am not very formal to put it, to put it mildly. <laughs> um, so if you said, hey, you can go live as a royal family. I'd be like, mm, I'm like, I'm gonna need a lot of details on this before I commit. I don't want to wear a suit every day. Like, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm gonna have an extensive, extensive vetting process here before I, I join up with this thing because it's not my style. So, how is she not aware of that? I think she was blinded by the ultimate bling. I mean, here she thought, wow, you know, I'm going to be on an international stage. The queen is going to be my, uh, you know, the queen is going to be my, um, you know, step grandma, you know, my grandmother by proxy. And I thought she thought it was going to be just, you know, wonderland. But I think she was I think she was aware of the rules, but I think she didn't realize how confining it would be. But I think the main reason that it blew out is like sometimes East is East and West is West and never the twain shall meet. <laughs> they I think the royal family did not like her. They did not like her. And like and I think the thing is the reason why they didn't like her is because it was like they they're british she's american she, um, they were the church of england she was something else she was brought up in a um it was just in, in um you know a broken family uh divorced family um she wanted to be california and she thought she could still be california in mm. britain and it just didn't work because if you want you know it's like if you want something you have to give up something else if you want to fit into the royal family you you that's why i think she should have known you're for, you're in a the a world's biggest fish bowl you're with the world's powerful family you play ball or you don't marry into it and i think they just didn't like her because she wasn't their type of person and they weren't her cup of tea either. Historically, is there anyone that you could you could compare her to to say, well, yeah, she is kind of an, an oddball relative to this family, but there is someone somewhere who also kind of embodied her same spirit. Well, I think the same thing that happened with the ostracization of Megan was the same thing that happened with the Duchess of Windsor. Uh, the Duchess of Windsor was also an American divorcee who married into the royal family and the knives were out for her from the beginning. And as a matter of fact, when her husband abdicated the throne, the deal was this, you um, leave England, you don't come back without an express invitation because if you do, his brother contained, held the royal purse strings. And he basically said, you can live in baronial splendor. But 
the cost of you having tons of money is you won't come back to England without express invitation. He came back for his funeral. His wife was invited back to accompany her husband's body. She left immediately after because they basically said, here's the deal. You get the money, you disappear. Mm. And she was very similar, American divorcee. Now, I think Wallace Simpson, she would have played ball. She would have been formal, but they hated her too much. Mm. She wasn't one of them. Now, I know there's at least some accusations of um, racism. They're they're tied up with the the Harry and Meghan thing. Um, And and there's obviously some of this uh, cultural difference as well. Is there, have you found, looking at the royal family, um, issues of race being a problem um, with them? Or is that more of just um, media hype and speculation? Well, I think in term, I do not believe for one second the royal family victimizes Megan out of racism. I think she played the race card. And the reason why I said that, they knew she was biracial. Racial, and they made her uh, a wedding, and um, I think it was in Westminster Abbey, which is the most historical church in the world. Prince Charles walked her down the aisle when her own father wouldn't. So the Queen Elizabeth led her for the wedding, wear a, a historic, priceless tiara. So the royal family were very nice to her at the beginning. I think when she started making it the Megan show and saying and causing issues, I think that's when the, you know, when they started turning against her. But I think if they um, like, you know, the proof is in the pudding. If they said, we're not making you the wedding, we're not giving you the tiara, we're not giving you the home in the, um, in the in proximity to the palace, mm-hmm. but they did all those things for her. So for her to turn around and say they're racist, well, look how they welcome her initially with open arms. Mm. So I don't buy the racism, especially she doesn't even look biracial because she straightens her hair. And I think if she hadn't said anything, nobody would even know. So how different are Megan and Kate? I think that was the problem, too. It's because uh, the press pitted the two women against each other. And Kate is great. Like nobody can, Kate never misses a beat. And it's really not fair to compare anybody to her. And also you see Kate could even, even though Kate wasn't royal, Kate was still British. She was still wealthy. She was still um, she, she was um, educated at St. Andrews University, the British Ivy League school. So she had the credentials. And I think when Kate married the royal family, she said, she said, this is what I chose. I will not miss a beat. And the difference between Kate and Megan is Kate shuts up because when Prince um, William um, broke up with her, because he said, I don't want to be single. I want to play the field. The press said to her, spill the dirt on the royal family. You name your price. You name your price. He dumped you. You owe him nothing. You name your price. 
spill the beans. And she said, I will not say a word. And because she took the high road, Prince William ultimately made up with her. But she never spilled the, she refused to spill the dirt for money. Harry and Meghan don't shut up for money. Class, no (laughs) class. That's the difference. So when they say Meghan was hated, it's because sometimes you're the architect of your own hate. And one thing I think um, Harry did, like if you want to spill your guts in public, that's fine. But I don't think you turn, you air your family's dirty laundry for gain. And when you write an, when you write a text to somebody, there's a presumption that it's private. And Harry in the book, he published an exchange between um, his wife and Kate that makes Kate look very bad. And Maybe she wasn't as sensitive as she could be, but still there is a presumption you write your sister-in-law text. It's not going to end up in a best-selling book. That's wrong. Yeah, it, it's wrong. And it's, it's wrong on a, on a lot of levels because this, okay. We had an email exchange to book this podcast, but this is the first real time we've spoken. Right. And so uh, everyone gets to hear our conversation, but if we started chatting offline, email or text or whatever, eventually we'd get to know each other. Uh, we'd understand each other a little bit better. Um, and we'd start to understand kind of inside jokes, things, um, what's sensitive, what's not sensitive, you know, how we talk about these issues. Uh, and so you, you kind of, you don't develop your own language, but you kind of develop this own running conversation between two people. Um, and if someone were to come in and look at that, they might go, well, I don't really understand why you know, wow, Ryan said this back. That doesn't really make sense there. Yeah, it could it could seem insensitive. Um, and it, it might be. It also might not be. It might be that the dialogue that we have is hard for someone from the outside to interpret without a more more um, more colorful view of what, what the full picture is. And so I think we've kind of gotten in, in the social media age where you can snap a, a, um, a screenshot and send it out to the world. And presume that we can all properly interpret what that means. Sometimes it can, right? Sometimes you can you can interpret that. But I've got a good friend, and I send him a, a text once a week says I hate you, and it's a joke between me and him. Yeah. But if you were to screenshot that and send it out to the world, people would think, "Oh my gosh, Ryan Ryan hates this guy." Like that's that's aggressive, but it's 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 just a running joke between us, and so. Okay. Well- well, yeah, not only is it taken out of context, but there's a privacy issue. It's like if somebody yes. finds your diary and they publish it. So, you know, I think that I think that Megan and Harry were so bent on revenge and anger that they that they, you know, put their morals in the closet. So, yeah, they made money, but they did irreparable harm in their relationship with his family. And, you know, sometimes there's too high a price to pay for money. Yeah, that's what I thought to ask you. Do you think this can ever be repaired? Well, I don't think so. Because sometimes you do something that's so egregious that you just, that there's no making amends. If the family does agree to sit down with him, it'll only because they want to placate him so he doesn't release further media bombs. I think, would they want to talk to him again? I think no, because he basically um, totally exploited them. He said, my brother, uh, when I said I'm marrying Megan, he knocked me to the ground. In other words, you're looking at the prince, the future king. He's nothing but a big bully. 
he makes his father look like an emotionally stunted boy. He said um, Camila has the nurturing um, maternal instinct of a viper. I mean, you know, Kate was, Kate really bullied Megan. He did not lose a, an opportunity to basically to sell books because people want dirt. And he basically dirt sold, um, dug up dirt for his own gratification, whether it's emotional gratification or and financial gratification. The same thing when they did the May, uh, when they did the Oprah interview, and they were saying that the family, the royal family was racist. Prince Philip was dying in the hospital. So, I mean, like, where's the respect to your grandmother, your grandfather's in the hospital dying and you're you're talking basically crap about them? I know. Is it so? Is it possible, though, that this is really um, a mirror, if you will, for the royal family? So. You have Harry and Meghan who are outside now, but all they are really is, um, I'm not saying accusations are true, but the mentality that they have. Um, so the royal family plays within this kind of paradigm that works. But if you if if, if you were me to w- were to walk in there, we would go, oh my gosh, there's really no difference between Harry and Meghan. They're just doing all this stuff in a different way <laughs> that, that, that it looks a little different. They're not taking it maybe out to the public, but they are doing very similar things. And so what we're viewing from Harry and Meghan is them doing all of these similar actions, but outside of the normal way that the family would operate. Mm -hmm. And that's why they won't forgive her. Because again, you know, when you marry a person, you don't just marry a person, you marry into their family. You, you, your in-laws become very much. And basically you, you know, I I can understand that um, Harry and Meghan were miserable and I can understand them rejecting the royal rule. I completely understand that. But the thing is, they should have just went to America and lived their life. Not drag your family into the dirt right. on Oprah, on a best-selling book. Because who would you be if not for that family? Harry was a military guy. What was he making? $45,000 a year. She was an actress. I personally had never heard of her. Yeah, so basically, they had been nothing without the royal family. So they basically do their, they're throwing all these verbal grenades at the very family who they'd be nothing for without them. That to me is not right. If you don't like it, walk away, but don't, you know, but don't, don't, don't cast dirt in your wake. That's why I blame them that they left the royal rule know that they left England. That's their business. They don't want to be a working royal. That's their business. But don't cast aspersions yeah. for okay. personal uh, gain. Obviously, the queen recently passed away. Um, what can you tell us about her? Well, the queen was the opposite of uh, her grandson because the queen never missed a beat. One of the mottos of the royal family isn't I reign, but it's I serve. And that's the motto of the Prince of Wales, I serve. And I think that was Elizabeth's motto. She was completely about duty. Even when she had the four young children, she would travel the world on royal duties because I think before family, she put duty to her country. And she always 
did everything she could to keep her image, to keep her family intact, to keep any negative press away. So what she spent her life doing is getting completely demolished scandal by scandal by scandal. Because even though she did everything proper, you know, one son is involved with the world's biggest sexual predator, why, um, um, F. Epstein. So that was that brings the family into the mud. Then Harry brings it into the mud. And then the Princess Diana scandal uh, brings it into the mud with Prince Charles's infidelities. So I think what she spent 70 years doing, they're single-handedly undermining. She'd be so sad if she saw what was going on now. So why was she not able to prevent some of this stuff? Because the the question that I've had about the queen um, is, you know, you mentioned like the Epstein stuff and, you know, there, there was at least a report that the, um, the Royal family threatened ABC. I think it was that if they went with the Epstein stuff, that they would just cut them off. Um, Basically they couldn't cover, I think it was Kate's wedding. I can't remember someone's wedding. Um, and, And so on one hand, you have kind of uh, the queen and in, in what she's doing, but you, but, but there also feels like there's an undertow. Maybe she was a little bit more aware of this, and I'm not saying she would or wouldn't be disappointed, but does she have some culpability in kind of how the family's turned out? I don't think so in a way, because even if you're an exemplary parent, you can have wayward children and the, and, you know, princess Anne though, she's never had, she did divorce, but she never had any scandal. She plays her role perfectly. And her, so one of her child, princess Anne was lovely. Her youngest son, Prince Edward, there's never been any whisper of scandal. So two out of four kids well, that's the ratio. That's the ratio. You raise your kids the same. And two, um, and even Prince Charles, even though he had some scandals, he's very wed to duty. And I'm sure he's going to take his role as king very, very seriously. And um, he does his best to, to, um, to carry out his role. So I think the only real loose cannon in the family was Prince Andrew. And Prince Harry, I think they're the only real loose cannon. And she couldn't. And I think she adored Prince Harry. I think she adored him. But even after the Oprah um, interview, she said, I have to lawyer up. In other words, I adore him. But if he crosses the royal family, I have to get my lawyers. I have to protect the institution comes before the the family the institution is her ultimate family. Where will she rank in the Queen's all time? You think? I think she'll rank very high because first of all, a she was the longest serving monarch in England's history. Second of all, she was utterly even in her nineties. I mean, even in her eighties, she could have said, "You know what? I don't want duty. I want to rest in my million dollar multiple homes." She kept working until her nineties. Um, so I think she's she's regarded with complete respect, and even you can tell because at her funeral, the outpouring of respect and love and tributes showed 
the people people adored her. The people absolutely adored her. Will Charles be as popular? No, because Charles is something, he's a socially awkward man. And people don't feel comfortable with him. And I think he tries hard, but he doesn't have that touch his wife did. And I think he resented Diana in a way because when they, you see the difference is when uh, Jacqueline Kennedy and um, John F. Kennedy went to Paris, the crowd went nuts over Jacqueline. And when um, President Kennedy returned, he said, I'm the man who accompanied Jacqueline Kennedy to France. He could handle his wife's adoration. He was secure enough of himself that the crowds went nuts over his wife more than him. He was cool with that. But I think Prince Charles bitterly resented that he marries this girl who was, you know, who was she really? And the crowds adored her more than him. That rankled. That rankled. He was no Kennedy in that regard. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm guessing as you as you mentioned that there's a sense. Um, I mean, some of our politicians obviously come from kind of the the silver spoon line, if you will, but there's plenty of them who who don't, uh, and they kind of have to work their way up through the political system. And, and doing that, for better or worse, means you have to work, think about playing to the crowd, working the crowd. Uh, you and your spouse um, can be both both kind of trained and, and and groomed to kind of do that over a period of 10, 20, 30 years as you kind of go through the, your political career. Whereas if you're a royal family, you, you're kind of just brought into it. And, and so thinking about how to work the crowd and how to get support and how to, to woo some pe- pe- people, people to love you is probably not first thing that they're thinking about. So I, I can see how uh, a U.S. politician, the U.S. politician's wife uh, or husband potentially could capture the imagination of a crowd a little bit easier than kind of the stiff upper lip of someone who's who's never really had to go out and secure votes and and to draw attention and to convince people to like them yeah well you know it's their birthright to be famous it's their birth but you know with the fame comes the paparazzi living in the world's uh, largest fishbowl. Right. My um, my cousin, her name's Risa. She lives in Brazil, and she has impeccable English. So she w- got a job at the Brazilian British Embassy, and um, in 1981, or it might have even been earlier, Prince Charles came to the embassy, and Risa, my cousin, she curtsied in front of him, and she said. He was like, and I said, what was he like? And she said, just like you thought he would be. It was the broiling Brazilian hot day. He was in a three-piece suit, a vest, a handkerchief. Hair was impeccable. And he was extremely formal. His back was ramrod straight. And he said, you know, his upper crust interest, how do you do? And he was very formal, extremely polite. But in other words, he was, you could tell he was groomed for his job from birth right and he played his role to perfection she said but was he warm or smiley or friendly no No. very very formal but extremely polite that's funny that's funny okay so you mentioned um you mentioned camilla um what's your favorite story about her about camilla yeah well 
Camila is, uh, she's interesting because, you know, she was, um, uh, she was Prince Charles's first love. She hedged her bets and she thought he's not going to marry me. So she married somebody else. And um, I understand that they, they loved each other all these years, but I think in a way she did dirty on Diana, like, you know, maybe the right thing to say to Charles is, well, you're married to her now. And, you know, our fate was cast years ago. And there was, um, at one point, um, Charles was wearing cufflinks and it said CC. And Diana thought it was Chanel, but it was um, Charles and Camilla. So imagine your, your husband on your honeymoon is wearing his lover's um, present, Charles and Camilla. And also one mm. day when they were, um, she had just given birth to William and her husband, Charles is in the washroom and the water's running, but she could heard him say, I'll always love you. And she said, either he's talking into the mirror or he's talking to Camilla. Mm. And, you know, and, you know, here's Diana, she's a young wife and even her husband, you know, again, you have the palace, you have, you have the money, you have the yachts, but you want, she was a woman too. I want somebody to be there for me and not be there for his mistress. Mm. And so, um, and I don't, I think that Camille is trying her best. She doesn't really, I don't think she's a real crowd pleaser. <laughs> I think that some people still resent her um, and say, you know, if you had a muscle, then Diana would be alive. On the other hand, there are some people who do like her because she's one of them. She's the horse set. She's born to extreme wealth. Um, she went to the finishing school. So in a way, they can relate to her. Okay. I think you have about 30, 37 different chapters, different women you cover in the book. Who is your favorite to write about? Oh, a good mother loves all her children. <laughs> uh, who would I say I love? Um, well, I liked um, so many. The Doom Mary, Queen of Scots. I think she was a complete martyr. I, Queen Elizabeth, you know, one hand said my beloved cousin. And then Queen Elizabeth beheads her cousin because Queen Elizabeth, the first, she was completely about, she didn't have anything personally against her cousin, Mary, Queen of Scots. But Mary, Queen of Scots, threatened her throne. And Elizabeth had to be completely ruthless if the throne was involved. I see. So we we're going really far back in all of them. Mm. So um, I like the chapter on, um, and I like Queen Elizabeth, um, the first chapter too, because you have to be fascinating. If your father is Henry VIII, you have to be a colorful character. You just mm -hmm. have to by virtue of being his daughter. And she had such a fascinating life, Queen Elizabeth. She was probably England's most powerful monarch. Mm. So she was very interesting. Queen Victoria was fascinating too, because she was another one who basically uh, left her stamp on, you know, because under her, England became the sun never sets. Like she owned India, Australia, right. New Zealand, Canada, United States, South Africa, British New Guinea. I mean, she just owned so much of the world. That's why she could not use in public the pronoun I. She had to use the royal we. Mm. She never missed an opportunity like the famous <laughs> saying, 
we are not amused. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Who, who do you think in your research um, of these women should get more attention, but probably doesn't get the attention they deserve? So who was sort of back burnered? Yeah, yeah. You, so you, you got 37 different different ladies here. Who do you go, you know, I wish the public would know more about her. I see. Um, well, I think maybe Princess Margaret, or I guess the public did know about her, but she was the ultimate black sheep of the family. So I think they tried to play her down. It was like, Harry said, I'm the spare. You know, the older sibling gets everything and then there's extra. Well, Princess Margaret, she was the spare too. And I think, you know, there's always sibling rivalry, but with an accent and to birth, one gets the crown, the land, the wealth. And just because you were born in a different birth order, you don't. That must be a kind of a hard pill to swallow. Like Prince Andrew was just kicked out. His apartment, since he was a young boy, he had rooms in Buckingham Palace. Prince Charles just said, "Go, leave. You, you don't have those rooms anymore. And I think Andrew just says, wow, if I had been firstborn instead of secondborn um, or thirdborn, I would be the one calling the shots. I mean, it's a pure accident of birth. It wasn't merit. That made you the top dog. It was, you know, birth order. So that must also be really hard for Andrew to take. So. Yeah, that that is. Yeah. Okay. What is the one unanswered question that you have going through this book? The one thing that you go, man, I wish I would have known this. Uh, What was the one thing, question I would know? Well, I wonder if. You know, I just wonder, yeah, you have everything money can buy, but does that come at the cost of personal happiness? Like, yeah, from the outside looking in, it looks like you have everything, everything. But do you really, like, Kate, you look like, oh, you have everything. You're going to be the queen. Um, When when, um, the queen died, Prince Charles gave William the Duchy of Cornwall, which generates a billion dollars a year. So that's why I can understand Harry's upset because the big brother gets now a billion dollars a year for life (laughs) and then his son gets it. So you have everything, but is it really like look from the outside looking in for the people who had to fight for every penny since they were fetuses? They've had many troubles since forever. And every day has been an uphill battle for financial survival. And you look at these people, you just had to be born and you have everything. But are but is it really a magical mystery tour your life? Mm. I that we'll never know. If you could sit down with any of the women in the book and ask them a question, who would it be and what would you ask? If I could sit down with any of the women um, in in any of the chapters, I would ask, um, maybe I'd ask Megan, if you knew then what you know now, would you do it again? Because... <laughs> You know, she's had realms of um, bad press and uh, she's been through the ringer. And but, yeah, she has so much. But would she have done it again? 
I hazard a guess, yes. Yeah, but to say, but, I think so. Like it's it's to your point earlier. Um, I'm I'm not very good at celebrity names, so me not knowing who she was before this doesn't mean much. I never heard of her. But I'd never heard of her, and so now she's you know set for life. Um, and so and it, it, it seems that the bad press. I hate to say it doesn't bother them because I'm sure it does, but they're also working the system. And so they're probably, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would, I, I suspect someone that's, that's that, that likes to do what they're doing um, feeds off of it. So I don't know, it's like a moth to the flame. <laughs> Can yeah. they even but, not do it? But I wonder if Harry's going to suffer residual damage because in other words, I think it's going to be very hard for him to show his face in England again. Um, because I think the British people, they're not like the Americans. The Americans, you know, we kicked out the royals. The, the, the British, some are very fanatically attached to the royal family. And even when Harry and Meghan came last time, there was booze. Mm. And I think that was even before the bombshell memoir. So I think that if, um, I think they might have to give up going to England. And also, I think Harry, at the end, he had, you know, he was close with his father and his brother. He adored his nieces, his niece and nephews and his country. So was it worth giving up um, all that for this? Yeah. And the thing that that I've wondered about is, you know, it's it's not uncommon for especially high profile marriages to fall apart. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, there is a sense in which you go, Harry, homeboy, (laughs) you're, you're gambling a lot here. So it makes you wonder how much of the frustration was already built in before he came across her, uh, how much that just pushed it forward. Because, you know, if you go three, four years from now and they're divorced, (laughs) what, what does he do? Does he, he ever down? feel like a, a horse's ass? I just, thought, <laughs> I just thought of who I would ask a question to. Okay, who? One thing, one thing I wondered is the Duchess of Windsor, when mm-hmm. she married Edward and he abdicated the throne for her. What I wonder is, was it, they, it was tooted as the love affair of the century. But were, was it really a love affair? Or was Edward, he didn't want to be king because... That wasn't his bag. So he wanted a way out. So he said, you know, he wanted a way out for whatever reason. Some people say he was gay and the marriage was just a front. Some people said he wanted to be the playboy prince. He wanted the fun. He didn't want the duty. His younger brother was better for the duty. So where did, and and Lady Simpson, did she want the wealth and the power and the fame and so it was sort of an arranged marriage. I'll give you access to all the royal acrimens, but you pretend to be my wife. Or was it how the press put it? Was it truly the love affair of the century? I would ask Mrs. Simpson, what's the truth? Did, was he the love of your life? Or was this a big hoax perpetrated on the world? And another theory is the royal family wanted him gone. Because there's pictures of Edward with King, um, with Hitler, and there's pictures of Mrs. um, Mrs. Simpson and Edward with Hitler, and they go, this guy's a loose cannon. He's in bed with Hitler. He's like doing all these weird things. We want him out. 
this is the, this, so they might've said to him, look at, this is what you're going to do. You're going to abdicate. You're going to get out of England and we're going to give you a King's ransom and money just disappear. Hmm. Okay. So it, it, that's what I would like to know. What was the truth? What's the real reason? Okay. Awesome. We're going to link to the book in the show notes. Obviously have your website pulled up as well. Anywhere else you want us to send people to? Um, Well, mainly my website would be great. I write a number of blogs. So I am not just on the royal family, um, but on uh, many other topics as well. If anybody's interested, I have like 11 books on Amazon, and I mention all of them in the um, webpage. So, um, you know, and I'd appreciate any solidarity. Okay. We have that linked in the show notes, the website, and of course the book as well for people to check out. Thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed the discussion. You're such a wonderful host. It was like talking to a friend, not a stranger. And I hope we stay in touch. Thanks for listening today. Really, really appreciate it. If you could, drop a five-star review wherever you may be. We keep getting on great guests, and that's because you keep supporting that show. If you want to know more, go to warroommedia.com.